Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Do 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 do. Welcome back to the Prairie Farm Podcast. Your favorite host, Nicholas Leary. Your favorite co-host, Kent Boucher. And we are tired. It's been a, we just got out of a very busy month. Super, tell, super tell busy Tell all we had to go on back in our super busy month of August. Well, we had sharing the land, which was a big one with our good friend Doug Duran. We had several important podcast interviews. Went up to the University of Iowa and... Uh, did interviews you had um, you had uh, on-site visits for some consultations yeah and I went up to uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum and got yeah. an interview for part three of the prehistoric prairie series we dropped part two of prehistoric prairie series which took a lot of editing that took some time yeah. and then uh, we had the first day of September we had prairie appreciation days which went perfectly honestly went yeah. perfectly yeah, we had a lot of guests. Some you have heard on the podcast: Paul Adama, Jed McCollum, Laura Walter. Um, Honestly, it was humbling to see how far people drove. Yeah, to come and support us. Yeah, you know, be a part of really a celebration of Prairie. I think Judd won the prize. Him and John, his mm-hmm. friend John, with uh, a little over three hour drive, yeah. one way. Yep, that was a big deal. Big shout out to those guys. Man, really like those guys. Judd McCollum is one of the best people on the planet right now, dude. I just, he's, he just makes you smile. Judd, run for president. I think you're older than me and I'm just a year shy of being able to run. So man, how insulting it'd be if he was like, I'm only 24, you know, no, I know <laughs> the year he graduated. Same <laughs> as my sister. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Shout out to Judd. Also, if you're looking for CRP or something like that in Illinois, Judd's got you covered. You're looking for backyard mixes for some native prairie. Not only does he know a lot about native stuff, but, uh, he, uh, is passionate about it. So yeah. he's one of our, uh, and if you like hunting, Judd knows hunting. He's uh, oh, he's yeah. with Working Class Bow Hunters, a team member with them, and uh, so he's a he loves bow hunting, but he also knows a thing or two about uh, upland birds, and he just knows what makes good habitat for all wildlife. Man, he doesn't subscribe so much to like the one the one food spe- you know species that you got to plant. Yeah, you know, an annual crop that you got to plant every year. No, he, he, he just has good thoughts. He has good, deep thoughts. That's why we like him, and he's a fun guy. Um, and this he didn't pay us to do this. We just like the guy. Yeah. So, all right, Ken, what do you got this week? So, speaking of prairie appreciation, uh, one of the coolest parts for me was I had some family members that came. And um, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, probably in some of the earlier episodes, that I always wanted to get into farming. Um, I When I was... Up till the age of, I think, 10. Yeah, when I was 10, my uh, grandfather stopped farming. So for the first 10 years of my life, I was around farming pretty regularly. We lived like, um, up till I was four, we lived like 45 minutes away from my grandparents' farm. So we would go over there a lot. My mom would drive us over just for the day, and I'd go and help uh, do some of the chores. I love feeding the hogs. And um, then in the fall, the reason I remember... The la- the last year that my grandfather farmed because that harvest season it was like this is it you know this is this is where it's wrapped up and we would ride in the combine with my grandpa and and all that so I had all these fond memories I wanted to do that myself you know and of course at that time farming was very generational you know it just went from one generation to the next generation 
And kind of the earliest part of my childhood was the very last days of that era of farming. You know, like my grandfather Hmm. had hogs. He had one confinement, but it was just, you just called it a nursery then because those hogs were only confined for a few months and then they were turned out into the lots with, with, um, the rest of the hogs. But it was kind of like the very first step towards going into full confinement, you know, hog farms. And, um, he got out before it got to that far. He, he retired from farming, but being around all that, I wanted to farm, but you know, it was just, wasn't a realistic thing for the age difference between my grandfather and me for him to like keep it going until Mm -hmm. i got old enough the size of the farm all that all the things that have have made farming what it is today and all the farms like my grandfather's great time to go back to the tom philpot episode where we where tom really talks about this transition period and the loss of middle-sized farms my grandfather's farm would have been like not middle size, but not like tiny either. And uh, that size of farm just went away. So I, I couldn't get into farming, but it was something that I always wanted to do. And so my grandpa and his brother were the last two really in my close family to farm. And you're talking, you know, Nick knows my family's last name. I'm not going to say it on here, but it's probably like, you know, one of those uh, confirmation things. Like if you forget your password or something somewhere out there. So. <laughs> but, uh, um, but that family is no, was known for farming in this area for a lot of different ways. And they were kind of one of the last bits of the family to be doing it still. And uh, so then it ceased in 1999. And really, nobody was farming in our family until I, you know, Carol was generous enough to give me a job here at Hoxie and start teaching me how to farm on a prairie farm. And so having them riding along on our tours and being able to explain the process to them and it'd be a total paradigm shift for them, Um, you know, because really, if there was the last larger remnant prairies i would assume i don't know this for a fact but just what i know about different points in ag history in our in our state there's probably a few large ones around still my grandpa thinks uh there there was one um where we just had a big uh um uh, the lily plant where that went up recently nicholas that um you know, just outside of Pella. Yeah, yeah. He thinks that used to be maybe some uh, remnant prairie when he was a kid. Hmm. And so they saw this stuff, the very last bits of it go away in their yeah. in their years of farming. They were still, you know, it's still full tillage all those years. And that's really what kills prairie is moldboard plow, you know. And so then to come to a prairie farm where we're raising these species to put them back, you know, that was a paradigm shift for them to, to see that, I think. But they were very supportive, and they, they wanted to know about it. They wanted to learn about it. And I just really appreciated that. Mm. But something very interesting that my great uncle, who's almost 90 years old, um, he we were stopped and letting the people on the tour go and check out the remnant that we have on the farm. Mm-hmm. And right after all those people came back, we just about got started on our on our tour again, my uncle speaks up and he's like, you know, you were pointing out that milkweed earlier. And he said, 
your uh, grandpa and I, when we were in grade school, he's telling the whole tour group here is fascinating story. He said, we were, our teacher would have us go out like at recess or something. And they would give us, you know, those old, like, I think we call them like gunny sacks or whatever, you know, like the, the cloth grain sacks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we would and tell us to pick as many milkweed pods as we could possibly find. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Was this like some of the earliest days of conservation work, you know? And and we're talking, you know, well, the reason was for stuffing, for putting filling into uh, life preservers for uh, U.S. Uh, servicemen in, during World War II. They wow. they were using the floss off of the or some people just call it the fuzzies or the fluff mm-hmm. off of milkweed seeds to fill these these uh, vests up these life preservers and so just a fascinating story I'd never heard of that yeah. before so I did some research on it and uh, if you go back in our podcast lineup we've referenced this podcast before on a coffee time uh, the Monarch Joint Venture interview yep. that we did. Uh, they had a cool article on it. And uh, so evidently the filler material that we used previously for life preservers uh, came from a plant called Kapok. I've never heard of it before. K-A-P-O-K. Okay. And that it's an Asian plant and it would get, um, I don't know if it was shipped to us from Japan, but essentially after Pearl Harbor, that trade that line of trade and supply got cut off. Yeah. So we had to come up with something new. So this, so this uh, is for life jackets and life preservers. Right. And so, which was now that stuff became incredibly important, especially when you consider the damage that happened during Pearl Harbor, not only did it cut off trade, but a lot of those life preservers got used, you know, because they attacked our Navy and, and, uh, we had several ships that were, um, heavily damaged i believe to just one just the arizona was that the only one that fully sunk that's the only one that i can think of but so my guess is yeah either that or it was the most popular one maybe it was the biggest right and you know it's i can't imagine that they had just a ton of of life this is just me guessing here maybe they did but i can't imagine they had a ton on reserve you know like oh we'll just go to the big warehouse and get a whole bunch of you know it's almost like remember during covid when we had no ppe we just like weren't Mm -hmm. ready for all to lose like or to have this huge demand all of a sudden so this guy from michigan did some research and proposed hey we could actually use milkweed uh floss to compensate for the loss of kapok and they found it actually worked better and Mm. so school kids all over the country were gathering up these milkweed pods and they were putting them on a train and sending them to Michigan where this guy, this, I think he was a professor, where this guy had set up, you know, set up the manufacturing lines to make these life preservers filled with milkweed floss. So it's that instead of air? Yeah, so at that time, yeah. And, and I mean, that's an interesting question. I think most life preservers now still have still have at least foam in them mm-hmm. but um at that time you know evidently it was this k stuff that they used 
I don't know when foam was foam Man. seemed like something NASA would have come up with, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, they so it's just interesting to hear the history of what some of these native plants have been used for, and I had never heard of that, and it was connected right to my own grandfather. Hmm. And what's also interesting is his school, the one room schoolhouse, literally one room country school, where he had one teacher for all these different ages of kids, was on uh, the farm the family farm that my family has now they were oh. they bought that it was connected to their land and they bought the schoolyard back after they closed down the country school programs that's crazy man full circle yeah i wonder if uh i wonder if full uh some of those some of those milk milkweed plants the old milk wads yeah some of those milkweed plants growing in that same area on the farm now may have uh you know maybe their offspring you know or or descendants of those plants that would have been grown mm. in the schoolyard, providing milkweed floss for life preservers in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, but those those milkweeds couldn't have descendants because all their seeds got taken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a few of them. Escaped. They were neutered. Kent. <laughs> we neutered those milkweed to fight our war, and thankfully we won. Yeah, but there was even a cool uh, like little comic, you know, like the wartime comics, like. How do we get people, you know, excited about collecting these? It's just really inter- interesting piece of history there. Hmm, that is fascinating, and a lot to uh, a lot to think about. I think anything that brings you back to World War II is fascinating because the country was just so unified. Yeah, we just had a villain. You had school and, children collecting this stuff. Yeah, yeah, you had you had like every I think third family was raising their own chickens. Isn't that yeah. crazy? In cities, people were just raising their own chickens because the government asked them to 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 help with sustainability in case rations started going down. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Wow. Well, does that make it my turn? Yeah, it makes it your turn. Man, beat that, Nick. I will not. You <laughs> should have gone second. Uh, I was reading this very interesting thing in the Iowa Farmer today about uh, the popularity of raising sheep. Now, I knew goats was a thing because after you get chickens, if you're still loving the homestead thing, you get goats because goats is like a new level of commitment because you got to be around to milk them. You can't just they're like dogs. You can't just leave them when you go on vacation. Right. But uh, I've helped milk a goat before Uh, several goats. Uh, Shout out to my previously Amish friend, Japheth, for inviting me over to his family farm (laughs) to do that. And uh, and. But sheep is becoming the thing. Now, what I found really interesting. Now, so th- there's this guy who has a. It says the Lynn uh, Farmer when Lynn Farmer got married in 1990s. So it tells this story about how he and his wife were looking to um, get more income on the farm, and they ended up finding out like sheep is the way to do it, and they sell the meat, and it's all. And then he talks about marketing the meat. It's not just about like getting sheep to be big and fat like pigs. You sell lamb, you know, like lamb pork chop. Sure. Yeah. And, um, or not lamb pork chop, lamb chop, <laughs> lamb pig chops. <laughs> <laughs> Some little uh, chimera or whatever. Those no, no, are. it's when a pig only eats lamb chops and then you take the pork chop off that pig that only ate lamb chops. It's a lamb pork chop. 
works you are what you eat uh what's that show how i met your mother i, re- I remember this distinct scene right where now nick is like 70 percent chicken because he's been eating nothing i've but been eggs. eating nothing but meat and eggs and salt and all and olive oil and i feel like you think that's an exact it is not i and it's miserable i'm not even kidding i get to like three o'clock in the afternoon and i just think about oreos for the rest of the day and then I go to bed and I dream about food. And then when I wake up in the morning, I feel better. Although today I ate my lunch that I brought to work. I ate it at like 9.45 a.m. So it's close enough to lunch. <laughs> I was hungry. Check I forgot breakfast. Lunch. Um, no, there's this scene in How I Met Your Mother where one of the main characters really wants to be a lawyer for conservation. and But he ends up having to get this job. For this like horrible law firm that like always is like destroying the earth and it's supposed to be humorous and one of his and one of his higher ups is like have you ever had lobster uh is it colby beef is that the expensive stuff yeah, yeah. yeah he's like have you ever had lobster col no colby beef lobster and uh the character's like no why what is that he's like it's lobster that was only fed Colby beef its whole life. And it's, just like, <laughs> and it's supposed to represent like giant corporations, just like so much waste and, and the characters like disgusted me there. Anyway. So that's not with it. I'm not talking about that with the sheep farmer. The idea is the thing that I thought was interesting was back in the day, everybody had a couple cows and some pigs out, but now you're seeing, see you're seeing more and more sheep and goats. And I'm, I'm like curious why that is. And my only guess is I think we've gotten really efficient uh, growing um, cows and pigs. We never got as efficient with the sheep and goats. So now it's sheep and goats turn. Yeah, I mean, you give it like 20 years and we'll see like giant sheep and goat confinements. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, um, but I thought that was fascinating that sheep are like making this giant rise as, as a side income for so many farmers. Um, and you know, showing sheep at the county fair is becoming more popular. It used to just be like a, a cattle and pig thing, but yeah, yeah. I thought the, the sheep thing, sheep, come on. I wonder how many, I wonder if we'll ever go back to cloning the sheep. Cause didn't we cloned Dolly and then it was like, great, we did it. And then that was it. Yeah. They, I think what the, that was learned from there was if you clone an old animal, like a mature animal, then those cells have the effects of age in them already. So oh. like all the, you know, as we get older, basically what's happening is we're just accumulating errors in our DNA and that's causing us to die. This is, this is in no way related to what we're talking about. But she, that was kind of like one of the big things that came from cloning Dolly because, because when, they were basically finding was, out you're not, when eight. she was born, she was born old, so to speak like her. So she had like health problems associated with an old, sheep mm. so basically of, they discovered that whatever billionaire was funding the project wasn't gonna be able to live forever they were like ah we won't do this anymore <laughs> there's there's been there I, I keep seeing headlines on like cracking the code for immortality or extending life you know mm-hmm. and uh it'll, that'll be an interesting thing you know probably <laughs> they'll probably figure it out right after i die but <laughs> yeah <laughs> we don't we don't need it we don't need to live That's the right. world Who wants need... to live forever yeah right? it's a great oh. song Okay, okay, so before we go, a couple of things, people. One, the Prairie Farm, not the podcast, but the Prairie Farm brand that is presented by Hawks and Ave Seeds is getting a big old boost. We got a couple people, and we're, we're not going to say yet who they are, but a couple people coming on the team who are going to be pumping uh, 
content for you guys in the form of how to's in the form of information in the form of what plants are best where you know all the stuff that we get normal questions on they're going to be posting blogs they're going to be i think they said they're starting a TikTok. if any of you guys are on TikTok, they're going to be doing reels about it and another really big one i don't think this will happen right away they're going to be cutting up uh previous and future podcasts and be putting them on reels to so take some of the best parts of diff- our different professionals and experts that have been on here and posting them for people to see. And uh, hopefully more people will find the podcast from that. And then you can just share the little, you know, little excerpt of that podcast instead of telling your friend, hey, go listen to this whole hour and a half thing. Yeah. Which, by the way, Kent is the king of. He'll be like, oh, man, I saw this really funny nine-minute video the other day. And then he'll be like, just pull it up right now. Just come on. <laughs> just pull it up right now. Like, Kent, we're in the middle of a meeting with a customer. He's like, oh, it's just only nine minutes. Just pull it on up. <laughs> it's not nine minutes. <laughs> 90 seconds. No, no. He, 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 I always joke with him. He's the king of the, oh, just pull it up. Well, pull. we spend all this time talking about it. It's like, just show it to him. <laughs> So then oh, there was this part, and yeah. the guy said this. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, don't forget, we are presented by Hoxie Native Seeds. That means Dad, out of his own free will, decided to pay for this. And the big reason is because he wants conservation education. Talk to you guys next time.